Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Millions of refugees are pouring out of Ukraine. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has already offered to give them a place to go. There is no doubt this is a humanitarian crisis. Still, there are other refugees from different countries seeking asylum too. According to a CBC investigation, Canada failed to meet its target of welcoming 81,000 refugees in 2021. The government only sponsored 7,800 people and only 4,500 were privately sponsored. Today, Sylvia Terpstra, the former director of education for the local public school board, will share a story about the efforts of a small group of women trying to bring an Afghan family to Canada. They are fundraising in Northumberland County and Belleville. They hope to pay for this family to flee after they are being targeted by the Taliban. You will hear about the challenges the family and this group are facing. I'm so pleased to have with me today Sylvia Terpstra, one of a small group of women who are trying to bring an Afghan family to Canada. Welcome to Consider This. Thank you very much, Rob. I'm very happy to be here. So let's begin, first of all, with how much do you know about the family that you're trying to bring here? Actually, we know quite a bit, uh, very much, because first, let me just say that we found out that there was this family in dire situation in Afghanistan from originally from a member of the family who came from Afghanistan as a refugee to Canada over a decade ago. Interesting. She was a woman who had been uh, imprisoned by the Taliban, and she works and lives as a wonderful Canadian in Toronto. So what we're trying to do is reunite her brother and his family with her and her family. During interim years, she brought in uh, her two sons and their wives, all of which are hardworking Canadians in a house they bought together. I mean, it, it couldn't have been better. So she was desperate to get help for her brother's family. And we heard the story and we took it on. So we learned a lot about the family because after all, she literally speaks with them uh, any, any night. If we ever ask her any question about them, she phones them that night and gets back to us. Now, I'm not going to tell you their names, and it's going to sound uh, terrible, but this family is being targeted in Afghanistan. And so I don't want to give details that will identify them too much. But I will tell you that it's a husband and wife. Uh, the woman was a teacher of mathematics in, uh, in uh, a college setting in one part, uh, not in Kabul, but outside of Kabul. And her husband was a business owner uh, who the two of them together 
were great advocates and creating great programs for women to empower young girls for education and to empower them to run their own businesses. They have three children. The eldest is 25 and she recently married. So she and her husband happened to be engineers. The next one down is a, a woman, a young woman who is uh, studying in med school and you have completed her program. And the third is a son who already has a degree in economics, but is now doing a master's in IT. So what you can tell about these six Afghanis is that they are highly educated people who have over the years in Afghanistan done a lot of activist work with their communities pro women and education. And as a result, they are being targeted. Their house has been bombed. They are moving from place to place. Um, they, uh, only one of the family is uh, still working. The woman who was teaching, she couldn't go back to there. And her husband's business was destroyed. Uh, uh, the eldest daughter is the only one working and she's working online for Save the Children. As she had previously worked for other UN organizations, she's only 25 and she's an engineer, architectural engineer, but she, that's the only work she could get that would keep her safe so that she didn't have to go outside. And, uh, you know, it's a very difficult situation for them. Moving around, there used to be safe houses. They've been closed. The situation in Afghanistan, that we learned very quickly that the situation has deteriorated so badly since the Taliban have taken power. Uh, the people basically have no access to money. Can't, the banks are closed. There's no way to get money. So, you know, just buying things, you can't really buy things unless you, have, you can barter or have some services you can barter, that sort of thing. Or in the case of uh, this family, the one, the one girl is working online and essentially the money she earns is supporting all six of these adults. Um, it's, it's just lawless there now. And uh, it's not uncommon. Father in the family has had Taliban put a gun to his head and tell him, you know, you better watch yourself. Uh, you know, the mother just doesn't go out at all. Um, the young people, university has ended for them, you know, as in they can't attend any university. It, it was closed for women in the first place, but I think they're now starting to let women go back. But it's such a bad situation that essentially they really want women to stay at home. And uh, so the situation is horrible there. Can you just fill us in a little bit about what happened uh, about a year ago and, and why we're at this point now? Actually, at, at, uh, just before um, Biden took over in the U.S., the former president uh, negotiated, negotiated to release the Taliban and, uh, and to withdraw American troops from Afghanistan. As you know, we, the Canadians, had troops in Afghanistan that we withdrew several years ago. And the Americans had troops in Afghanistan that when Biden inherited the problem of having to close this off and get them out quickly. Uh, and it was, a, it was really a tragedy at that time that they moved in really quickly to get the American soldiers out. 
they took at that time with them some of the people that worked with the soldiers, just some of the people that worked with the soldiers, particularly focused on the interpreters and their families. And, and they got out, but many were left behind. And we as Canadians took our soldiers out several years ago and for some reason, during the intervening years, we did not bring out the interpreters and such. And, and what you'll notice is there are a number of excellent organizations that have developed. Uh, one is called uh, the Vets Transition Network, where they literally, these are retired vets who worked with some of the people who were left behind. And they literally have been going into Afghanistan, scooping those people up and putting them on flights to get them out of the country and to get them eventually here. So our government has, um, has, has said we'll take about 40,000 Afghanis, but the process of getting them out is difficult. And they put a priority, which is fair, on the Afghanis who can come. First, they were the interpreters and their families. Second, it was journalists who worked with them. And the third, which is the phase the government is at now, is bringing out people for humanitarian reasons. And those are people who have been activists, who worked along with governments and our government and the American government supporting the vision for what Afghan could become, but didn't get to. So when the Americans pulled them out, uh, unfortunately, uh, Taliban took over. The Afghan government dissolved itself. The soldiers that had been trained by Americans and Canadians and others mostly just dropped their arms and left because there was no way to get support from the Afghan for them, Afghanis the Taliban for them. So the whole country started to slide backwards. Um, the world closed their banks and said, you don't have access to the money that uh, we put there for you. The result of that, of course, is just devastating because uh, with no access to money, what we're finding is even children are on the streets um, begging, just trying to get any food they can, you know, trying to do whatever they can for any money to feed their families. Meanwhile, the women have been basically sent indoors not to be seen, <laughs> uh, or if they are seen, uh, they are harassed on the streets. So it's a very, very difficult time. And, uh, you know, as Canadians, we have great compassion for people from, from outside of, of Canada. We, uh, you know, I'm, my parents were immigrants. My husband is an immigrant. You know, it, the reality is we are a country of immigrants, and we've been very good for people who've been in trouble. If I think back to the Syrians or the Vietnamese who came to this country and integrated very well, uh, the government has been very good about it. The problem is, this isn't business as usual in Afghanistan. You see, when we went to get Syrians out, we went to camps that were run by UNHCR, by the United Nations in Libya or in Turkey or in other places. And we went and selected which Syrians could come to Canada. And the same with the Vietnamese, both people, they had arrived on boats and it was just a matter of taking those people through, getting organizations to support them. So we're not in business as usual. These people are having obstacles like you can't imagine 
Number one, two of our six adults have passports that are uh, up to date. Well, the Taliban isn't renewing passports. So I don't know how the other four are ever going to get a passport to leave the country. Yet, the Canadian refugee system, to apply to be a refugee, you have to apply from outside your country. So this six family, these six people, in the lawless situation that they're in, have to find smugglers or something to get them out of the country. And then will the other country even take them in when they don't have passports that are up to date? They only have Afghani identification, valid Afghani identification, but that's one of the obstacles, just getting them out of the country. And then after that, you know, the Canadian, in order to become a refugee in Canada, it's about a three to five year process. Well, how are these people going to live in another country before, for three to five years before we can bring them here? Well, they can't. The bottom line is groups like ours are trying to fundraise so that not only do we uh, deal with what the government requires us to do for the year of settlement when they're in Canada, but we realize we're probably going to have to pay a lot more than that for them to live in the intervening time unless the government speeds up the process and ramps up the process. So, I, you know, you can imagine myself and my friends are doing a lot of advocacy with whomever we can about changes Canada should make to make it real that these people can come here and come here as swiftly as possible. Because in truth, if they stay in Afghanistan, I don't imagine we'll have six people left in this family in two years. How did you become aware of this Afghan family and its need to come to Canada? Uh, we remember that there's a lady in Toronto who is, she is the sister of the parents. So sister and auntie to the children. Um, she was trying to find anybody that could help bring help in any way to bring her, her family over. And the reason she needed that help is she's really uh, devoted all her resources to getting her own children and their wives over. So she's tapped out, basically. And uh, so, so she put out a plea through a friend of hers, a story, just a storyline about what's happening to her brother's family. And that storyline came to a friend in Belleville here who brought it to the club of professional women that I'm in just to tell us about it, just to tell us this is what's happening in Afghanistan. Because our, our club is committed to education around the world for women. So uh, that's why it was brought. And uh, another woman and I, another member of the club and I sat down one day and said, we've got to help these people. It, we won't make it a club project, but let us just do what we can to help these people. So this was in December. So it's not long ago. And we've been very fortunate. We have incredible success. We've met with incredible success so far. Because the hardest part, first off, we had to, we had to figure out, we had to get up to speed with what's, what's happening, why it's happening, what help they're going to need. But most importantly, what are the government situations and conditions? Well, thank goodness, both, both my friend and I have an MBA and we're smart, you know, <laughs> like we can learn. So on we went to government, on to websites and everything else and tried to find out okay, what are we really facing? What is this family really facing? And then 
we started speaking and consulting with people who knew what's going on. For example, um, we were consulting with the, the VETS transition uh, network. Those are the people that go into Afghan and scoop people out of Afghanistan. They've been focusing on interpreters, but hey, we got, we got them registered with them. If they were ever going to have a space left, we said, bring them, you know, just, just bring these six, please. If you've got a space, fill it with them, you know, right kind of thing. And they're wonderful. This group is just, it's just a wonderful group. But we've talked with, like, there's a university women's group who support Afghan women. That's in Ottawa. We've, we spent time talking with them. We spent time talking with churches. United Church has been phenomenal about bringing in Syrians. And so we asked them, were they interested in, you know, even in this town of Belleville, they brought in 25 Syrians. And I said, you know, would you be interested in helping with this project? And the bottom line is those people spent almost five years working on bringing those Syrians in who are very happily located, but they're tired and they don't want to take on another project. So we just decided we have to do this ourselves. And, uh, and we got lucky. Uh, the lady in Toronto knows the whole Afghan community. And what you need to, from the government's point of view, to be able to bring in a refugee is you need to have a sponsor uh, who's called, there's, there's, com- there's groups of people called sponsor, uh, sponsorship agreement holders. We short we shorten it to SAHs, sponsorship agreement holders. The United Church is one of those. That's one of the reasons why we contacted them locally, because we knew they were very involved with the Syrians. And we thought, well, let's talk with them about this. But what we found out was in Toronto, one of the most credible sponsorship agreement holder groups is a group called uh, the Afghan Women's Organization. And it is totally connected in Toronto. In fact, the CEO, we had the opportunity to speak with the CEO uh, of that, whose name is Dina Niazi. She has received an Order of Ontario uh, Award. I mean, she is top notch. And uh, she recognized what we were trying to do. Uh, We weren't trying to just give money to help anyone. We said there's a specific family we want to bring reunite with the rest of her family and uh, they were absolutely wonderful with us and they said if you can raise the money and uh, and if the government gives us enough allotment we'll take them on and what that means is when they come to Canada they would be the settlement agency for they would find the place for them to live make sure it was furnished, make sure it had everything, pay for the housing for one year. That's the Canadian government way. For one year, it's paid for all the food, make sure they have internet, phones, make sure they can help them find work, all of that. That's what a a settlement agency does. It's a huge responsibility. And that's why there's only 134 settlement agencies in Canada, all across Canada. But the best one for us is in Toronto, and they said yes. And like we came home and just celebrated that it couldn't have been better. Uh, and that's number one. And number two, we made other, we've had to make other partnerships that have been very good to us. Locally here, the Prince Edward County, 
Prince Edward County, which is annexed as Belleville's right on the side of Prince Edward County, part of Hastings, they've uh, recently built a new hospital. So in the process, they, they built a charitable foundation. And so we went and asked them, since one of us is from Prince Edward County, we went and asked them, one of my group of six, we went to ask them uh, if uh, we could, if they would allow us or sponsor us to be part of the charitable organization so that when we can, when we go for donations, if someone wants to donate uh, a large sum and we're finding there are people who are quite happy to give us a thousand dollars at a time, but they can give it through the foundation so that they get a tax receipt for it. So that was one. And I mean, that's a partnership that was absolutely invaluable. We're, we're two and a half months in, we know who's going to settle them. We have a partnership for tax receipts. And we also set up another, uh, another charitable stream for people who don't care about tax receipts. Like it could be GoFundMe type of smaller monies, but that money will be used for us to help them get out of the country to a third country. And those are things that the government has nothing to do with. So we are going to help them with that through this other funding. So let's talk a little bit about the the money then, since you've raised it at this point. Um, How much money are you hoping to raise? We're we're looking to raise $150,000. 90,000 of that will, will go only to directly to to the Afghan women's organization in Toronto for settling them, for paying for six adults for a year's worth of their life, clothing, food, everything. So really, you know, you think, well, maybe that's a lot of money, but actually it isn't. When you just look at rent in Toronto, I don't know if they're going to, you know, cost of rent for six people is probably going to eat up 40,000 of that 90, you know, for a year. So there's that amount. And we're trying to gain in the other stream, we're trying to get an extra 60,000. Now of that 60,000, chances are at, at least 30 of it will go just to planes, getting them out of the country, getting them, you know, to Canada, all the prices have gone up. There's smugglers in the middle of everything. There's a lot of corruption. You know, the, we've been trying to get them their passports. We've been helping them to get their passports. Well, a passport that used to cost them $100 is now up to 1000 per person in Afghanistan, if you're lucky enough to not get ripped off. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's so, so the other 60,000 stream is we're going to be using for all those other things that aren't associated with what the government requires. That 90,000 goes for settlement, the 60,000 is for the other things. Listening to you earlier, you were talking about a five-year window where they have to to get them here. What happens after this monies that you've spent uh, and just getting them here and getting them settled for a year, what happens after that in terms of funding? Do you make a, a further commitment for the rest of the four, five years? Well, we will go until whatever funding we have runs out. If, if they can make it through the first year, they land as a permanent res- a resident who is a refugee. But at the end of the first year, they apply to be a Canadian citizenship, a citizen and they're on their own. Now, we don't want them to be on their own. I mean, you can be certain that the Afghani community will make friends with these people. These are good educated quality, the kind of people we want to bring as immigrants to Canada. 
So you can be sure there'll be friends helping them. And no doubt, we will become their friends and help them as well. So I, I don't see it ending, but the formal, the formal responsibilities actually end after a year. In, in the past, um, families have come to our region um, and, and been sponsored from different parts of the world, including Afghanistan and, and Syria, as, as you mentioned earlier. Um, that tends to gel a community around fundraising and supporting this family, et cetera. How are you finding it when these people are going to be settling in Toronto and being a part of a Toronto community? And here you are as a group off in Belleville. Um, yes. And I also you know you just don't think of it as Belleville. You also include Northumberland as, as part of that. So explain to listeners just how do you see it that this community is is should be engaged in this activity particularly? Well, if you're at all any kind of a humanitarian, you want to help. Uh, so the bottom line is all our connections, whether it's me, my connections are all in Northumberland. The people that I'm talking to about donations or whatever, it's all in Northumberland. Because I'm new to Belleville. I only moved recently here. So, so the bottom line is I'm, I'm focusing in Northumberland, whereas other ladies in our group are focusing in Belleville. And one of the ladies just came, moved here from Toronto. And she has a massive, massive uh, connections with, in Toronto. She, she was... Uh, Anyway, another professional woman, and she has massive connections in Toronto. So we actually, this little group of six actually expands the whole area. But when someone says to me, why don't you have them come to Belleville or, or Coburg or wherever? My answer is this. There's no Afghan community there to support them. There's number one. There's no potential friends or people who eat the same food they eat, or you know what I mean? There's no community there to support them. I mean, in Northumberland, there's not, a, there's not even a mosque to support them. There is a mosque here in Belleville, but there isn't one there. Um, that's number one. Number two, their aunt and cousins are in Toronto. And, you know, as a new Canadian or a new resident, I would want to be close to them and their aunt will do absolutely anything for them. So, you know, they should be close, but three, the most important one is the government says that whoever your sponsorship agreement holder is must house them in the area that they're located. So since our sponsorship agreement holder is a, is a very credible organization in Toronto, they have to live in Toronto. One of the themes that I keep hearing you refer back to is how important it is to be women supporting other women. And I'm wondering if you could share what you know about what it is like for a woman to be in that part of the world. In all honesty, I've never had that experience. You know, as a Canadian, yes, daughter of immigrants, I had no, no difficulty in any way in Canada getting into university, going to university, going to work, being, being promoted at work. As you know, I, I ended up being the director of the school board. Uh, there has, I've never had an obstacle. Now, partly it's because I was in education and education is fairly open-minded. Had I been in other fields like engineering, it might've been different. But I think the women uh, in other parts of the world 
you know, many parts of the world, particularly the Taliban in Afghanistan, they don't see women as having a role outside of mother and home. And that's it. Unfortunately, I can, I can, I personally consider their attitudes medieval, but that's just me. <laughs> that's just me. Yet this family in Afghanistan is progressive. Every one of them is educated. And by the way, I'm actually a supporter of both men and women, but the women have had a more difficult time, you know, getting anywhere. I mean, the, the young lady who, uh, who is an architectural engineer had not ever had a job in her own field yet. She was educated. She has a university degree to prove it. Her husband the same. But she was not able to find a job in her field because in Afghanistan, no woman would be brought into engineering in a man's world, you know, in a man's working world. That just wouldn't happen. That's why she ended up doing jobs for, uh, for some of the United Nations groups. And work, she was working with a, a, a specific project out of Norway. And now she's working for Save the Children because her ability, those type of organizations accept her abilities and will give her work. But I imagine, uh, well, I actually can't imagine living in Afghanistan. Uh, I only, what I hear now, especially now, uh, you know, of being, you can't walk out your, you can't walk down the street because somebody will come and harass you. What are you doing outside? Where are you going? Who are you with? Why aren't you with your husband? You know, all of that kind of stuff is so foreign to us in North America. And, and it was foreign to these, this family as well, up until the Taliban took over. They were part of the progressive group moving Afghanistan forward. And now they've been sent back to the Dark Ages, basically. How do you respond emotionally when you, you hear these stories and you've learned about this family? I mean, we're talking about it, and you're talking about it very rationally, but certainly it must impact you uh, on another level as well. Can you describe what that's like? You know, the, the biggest part of, of this project for us is the fact that they can't get out of that they can't get their passports and get out so far. I'm going to work on having the government accept them without those passports. I'm working, you know, I've identified all these things that we have to publicly advocate for and, and we're going to, and we, this group of six women, we can, we're all, we're all able. <laughs> so anyway, what, what the worst part that I feel is the helplessness of it. You know, these people are helpless. They, they can can hardly get food, they can't work, they can't live in their own home that has been bombed. They have to move from place to place. They're in hiding all the time. The helplessness of that, I can't, uh, for me, you know, I, I don't know how they can endure day to day. To me, it is a dire emergency. That's what I call it. We can't take three to five years to get them out of this country. You know, we have to move faster. That's why we really spent time talking with the vet 
network because they go in and scoop people up, you know, like, come on. And they, they take them safely from where they are to the airport. You can't walk safely to the airport anymore in Kabul. Like it's not possible. So they, they're soldiers. They, they know how to do this and they do it. And, uh, uh, oh boy, uh, they are, um, they're probably a godsend for that country. So we're making those kind of partnerships so that we can get over this helplessness that we feel for people who are stuck and have no one. They have no one to help them. It's just terrible. How has this experience, if at all, changed your views on government policy in regards to immigration and refugees? Well, you know, I'm uh, even... If you talk to anybody that I worked with, even in in uh, in in, Co- in Kawartha Pine Ridge District School Board, they'll tell you that although I'm a math grad and an MBA, I'm a very creative soul, and I I think it's really important that we look at things with a very open mind, determine what we try, what we need to do, and just set about doing it within the logistics of a system. So I'm not afraid in any way of, uh, I wouldn't call it harassing, but almost <laughs> the government about the changes they need to make. Uh, they need to make some changes. Uh, you know, if someone can't get out of the country because they haven't got a passport, they, we have to start saying, let's take them. You know, last week, um, President Biden made a partnership with Qatar where there is an, an American Air Force base a big one in Qatar, made a partnership that they would go in every week and take Americans out of Kabul and bring them to Qatar. Now, you know, if I could get to Trudeau today, <laughs> I would be talking to him about why, why we're such good allies with the U.S., why he hasn't asked them to put Canadians on that plane. You know, let's do it. Like, you've got to go to the top. You've got to ask for it. And you've got to make a case for it. That's one. You know, this week in Ukraine, with the mess of the war in Ukraine, I don't know how many countries have said, we don't care about your passports. Come, get, leave Ukraine. Come, be safe with us. Well, we should be doing that with these people from Afghanistan who helped Canadians and Canadian soldiers work and who did the work and took on the vision that was provided by Canada and the U.S. We need to help get those people out of that country because they are not going to live. Do you fear that with the world events going on right now in the Ukraine and the number of refugees that we're seeing pouring across the borders, that this will uh, take precedent over efforts like yours? Can you explain how you feel about that? Oh, yes. We, you know, we, you never hear about Afghanistan anymore in the news, in the media. It's off, it's off the radar. But, you know, it was too much off the radar when we pulled out, when Canadians pulled out. We should have done something then. We should have brought people out then before, while there was a government that was favorable, you know, while, while the, the government allowed us to have flights in, that kind of thing. We should have brought people out then. So it's been off the radar for five, six years. Now, the good thing is, um, you know, just two or three weeks ago, I don't think it's, you don't see it in public, 
But uh, two or three weeks ago, the government created 3,000 spots for urgent cases of humanitarian, urgent cases uh, to come to Canada quickly. Now, they still have to get to another country. They have to be interviewed by the United Nations, determine they're really, truly a refugee from Afghanistan. And then, of course, I don't mind the second part, which is the Canadian government uh, checking in to make sure there no, that there's no security issues and making sure their health is good. I mean, that we do that for every uh, new Canadian coming, whether the refugees or not. That's part of the process. Uh, that part I don't have trouble with because that can be done fairly fast. But the UNHCR piece is very, very slow. And so Canada has to find a way to, in my opinion, if they could determine that Qatar was a hub and put Canadian embassy services there and UNH, get UNHCR embassy services there so that if we could get people out of Kabul to there using the piggybacking on the Americans partnership, I think we should. Anyway, if we could get them there, then we could get them from there to Canada as fast as possible. Maybe a year it would take, but a year to pay for these people to be alive safely out of their country, which is what our community, our community funding will do. A, a year of that is better than not knowing at all how they're going to get there, how they're going to get out, how long it'll take for the UNHCR to deal with them. You see, when we took Syrians, we went into camps where they were already identified as refugees. So that wait wasn't so long, but still, they, it took most of them five years to get out. This can't be, it can't be five years. So there's a big piece about advocating, uh, advocating for Afghanis that need to come, that need to get out of the country. But you need to know that they're probably, you know, yes, Canada will take 40,000 um, in the regular amount. They say they'll take 40,000, about 7,000 have already come. So that's 33 more. And they're saying they're, they've added 3,000 extra for urgent situations. And I'm, we're, we're, uh, we are preparing the whole case that these people are urgent. We're hoping they'll be part of that group. But if they're not, still, the uh, women's, Afghan Women's Sponsorship Group will take them in the next year or two. So, you know, we've got a backup. <laughs> we're hoping for the urgent one. But while we do all this, you know, we just... Uh, we have to advocate and spend more time asking government to to open up open up the resources to make this happen speed it up ramp it up and speed it up that's basically what needs to happen so what are our next steps in the in the short term for us well uh, the month of march our um, our uh, our donors, uh, if they want, our next big steps is fundraising. And uh, the fundraising to the two streams, the one charitable organization with a tax receipt and the other one, which is a community fund to help them beyond what legally the government asks. And uh, so our big piece is fundraising. And so our little group, which started with just two of us, well, we expanded it to six, so we have a chartered accountant in there, so that our old finances are done. It will be done transparently and above board. Uh, that's number one. Number two, number two, we uh, we we brought in a communications expert to tell us what we need to do. 
what we need to do to get this project known. Three, we're going to start trying to communicate to all the communities about the project. And, and we, actually, we actually know and believe that Canadians are very, very compassionate and charitable. After all, most of us came from somewhere else. And we understand how life can be difficult. For my parents, it was after war in Holland. You know, they had to leave Holland after the Second World War. It was them. But there's all kinds of reasons why people have to leave their countries. And we're very good as Canadians with them. So we anticipate, we anticipate that we will be able to fundraise the $150,000. We're trying to do it as quickly as possible uh, so that if the chances are that that vet organization can get them on a plane, we've got the money to get to do it and uh, get them over here, that sort of thing. Our, our next steps is, is community information and fundraising. If people are interested in contributing, how can they do so? Yes, well, if, um, if you want a, a taxable receipt, you could go to thecountyfoundation.ca. That's Prince Edward County's charitable foundation is called the countyfoundation.ca slash giving slash and select to support the Afghan, the Afghan refugee sponsorship fund. Whatever money you give there will be acknowledged for taxable reasons or literally by email. You can make email transfer to the Afghan family fund at gmail.com. And that is our community fund. And uh, when you do that, you can do an email transfer or you can even make a check out to them. Actually, both of these uh, venues take checks or email, but we certainly would love to receive donations from any Canadian who, is, who understands that, uh, that we need to do something to continue to help Afghanis and, and help us reunite this one family. It's a simple project. We're not trying to take on the world. We're trying to reunite one family. But who knows? If there's success, we might go a little further. No doubt, with the advocating, we'll be going a lot further. Further. So, Celia Terpstra, thank you so much for talking to me today. And thank you to your listeners for listening as well, for allowing me this and to listen. We really appreciate any support they can give. That was Sylvia Terpstra one of a group of local women trying to get an Afghan family safely to Canada. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. 
That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening, and stay tuned for more from Consider This.